Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Galliber. They asked me to predict this game before the game. I said it was Knicks by five. I talked yesterday about a lot of things the Knicks would need coming into this game. I told you they needed IQ to be IQ. They needed RJ to be RJ. I told you Josh to get Josh to be Josh. They didn't get any of that. What they did get were the Bucks shooting an ungodly percentage from three. 60.5. Don't forget that point five. 60.5% from three. And they didn't just take 10, 11 threes. Oh, they took 10, 11 threes. 60.5%. Okay, no problem. Nah, nah. They took 38 threes. They hit 23 of them. 23. I'm not going to say I've never seen a team shoot like this against the Knicks. Okay? I'm not going to say that. I've talked to you before about teams that will play the Knicks knowing they're going to get open threes and, sh- and be ready to shoot those shots confidently without any hesitation, and shoot well because of it. Whereas a lot of teams, they're not sure if that shot's going to be there. You know, they see the closeout coming. They might hesitate a little bit. They might rush it a little bit. But there are teams out there that know exactly where those shots are coming from and will not hesitate to shoot them. The Bucks were that team. That's stupid. 23 threes. And the Knicks, on the flip side... They only took 23 threes, and they only made seven. And it's like, what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with it? You can sit here, and you can say, hey, I, and listen, we, I said we're going to do the Doofus Chronicles. You can sit here, and you can blame Tibbs' defense. That's the problem with Tibbs' defense. And Dick's defense is not good, and blah, blah. Man, you can't do nothing about somebody shooting 60% from three and hitting that many of them. I don't care. You can't stop both. You can't stop the front of the rim and stop the three-point line. You can't do both. That's why the scoring is out of control nowadays because they don't allow you to do both. Defenses allow you. I mean, the rules don't allow you to do both. You can't contest super hard on shooters. They know you can't do anything. When they're shooting, you can't land in their landing space, nothing. So they, they shoot freely. Right? It's really up to the shooter whether or not they make or miss. It, it's been the case for years because you don't have to worry about guys coming in and block your threes because they're not going to get that close to you. It's up to you. you either rushing it or you can't shoot. That's, the, that's it. You missed your shot. Your adrenaline got to you, whatever. The defense is not making you miss. You got to scare people off. You got to be in people's airspace as they're raising the ball up from their waist. They're loading up. You got to be there to make a guy see you as a distraction on his shot. You can't let the guy catch the ball clean, raise it above his shoulders, and see the rim before you get there. It's just not going to happen. That's not just about the Knicks. This is just about everybody. The problem is the Bucks hit 60% of their threes. I think the I think if you want to talk about something, 
that's an issue besides the fact that he hit so many threes. You want to blame something. It's not it's not simply the scheme. I think that's just like that's simpleton stuff. All right. You get it's some scheme, and we'll get into it. But if you really want to look at the personnel and talk about the personnel the way people are doing all over Twitter right now, it's because the Knicks don't have a lot of size. When you don't have a lot of size and you're coming out to contest, if Brunson is coming out to contest, nobody's worried about Brunson contesting their jumper. Nobody's worried about Dante DiVincenzo contesting their jump shot. Quickly, historic, historically for the last couple of years, has been very good at contesting jump shots. People shoot a lower percentage when quickly contest their shots uh, or for whatever reason. I, I have my theory. I think it's because quickly contest with his, with his arm up early. I think there's something to it that's like a defensive contesting strategy that some people teach, and I think it might be effective. But there's the only thing I can think of as to why quickly has more success or last year had more success contesting jumpers than other people. But at the end of the day, he does have long arms. At the end of the day, uh, guys are going to shoot over him or feel like they can shoot over him. They feel like they can shoot over Brunson. They feel like they can shoot over Dante, over Josh. Okay. If you want to talk about something that's a personnel issue with the Knicks, it might be that. You know, RJ has been slow rotating defensively historically. I wouldn't necessarily put that on him last game. But these, a team like the Bucks last night and, and what you've seen against with some other teams who shot well from three, they're just very confident that that shot's going to be there and, and they're gonna, it's a practice shot for them. But 60% from three, man, there's no defense for that. People keep saying, you, oh, you're leaving people open like they're hitting. That's what's going to happen you leave people open. No, that's, that's literally not what happens. <laughs> It's not 60%. Not 60%. You go look at the best. I mean, this year, the three-point shooting is out of control. Like, I think I said it a couple shows ago. When I looked, there were like 80 people who were shooting over 40% from three, which is an insane number, right? That said, historically, if you looked at the open three-point shooting percentage numbers from for the greatest shooters in the league, not ever, but in the league, that number is usually around 50% high 40s on an open three. Their entire team shot 60%. You cannot win that way. <laughs> You're just going to lose that game. Now, what could you have done to prevent it? Well, you could have taken away the momentum of of getting open looks and knocking them down by chasing them off those shots earlier, by playing a, a tougher defense, more physical defense, wearing them down, making them rush, something that the Knicks clearly didn't do in this game with 75 points being scored at halftime and just an insane number. Insane. I'm sitting here watching the game and watching every play of the game. And I look up at the score and I know that there's a ton of scoring, but I look up the score at halftime and I'm like, what the hell? It's almost like I didn't know. It was almost like I didn't realize that they were in the 70s at halftime. 
at halftime. And I'm like, there's no way I, both these teams would keep up this pace. And what you saw was the Knicks couldn't keep that pace up. And you give the Bucks credit, they made adjustments that slowed the Knicks down. You didn't get the best uh, game from a lot of the Knicks. You didn't get the best game from Jalen Brunson. You see that 24 points and you think, oh, he, he played decently. But if you watch that game, he didn't hit hardly any threes. Huh? If he hit any at all. And I'm not, I don't even care to look. Because I know he was like 0 for 5 at one point. Um, Jalen Brunson has been a big game player for the Knicks, but he was not he was not big game James <laughs> last night. Okay. He, he he produced some, he made some plays, don't get me wrong, but he was bricking some of his jump shots. Bricking them. Bricking them. Okay. And RJ's same RJ. RJ. Not not efficient right now. Not hitting his shots right now. Just just struggling, struggling, struggling. And you just there's no way to win without R.J. Barrett playing well. You can't beat good teams without R.J. Barrett playing well. You have to start there. You can talk about the defense, blah blah. blah. When you're missing shots, your defense is hard. Defense is harder to play when you're missing shots. First, first of all, when you're not confident offensively that you can get whatever shots you want. It, at some point, the defense is going to start letting up. The Knicks aren't good enough to beat the Bucks without R.J. Barrett playing well. Period. Without their three guys playing well. And I'm talking about a game like Jalen Brunson had, and I'm sitting here telling you he didn't play great, but it was good enough to, to, to suffice if R.J. Barrett played a good game too. And he didn't. He scored 20 points, but it was inefficient. It wasn't, it just, he's just not, he's just not on his game right now. And it, it can't beat good teams with no R.J. Barrett. They're not that good to beat teams without, or good teams without R.J. Barrett playing well. Unless quickly plays well. And quickly didn't play well either. And this is what we talk about. This is what I talk about with quickly. And I, and I want to keep saying it. I love Emmanuel quickly. I want him to be a Nick for life. But I just need people to understand, and I need quickly to understand, and I think he does, that the team needs you to be that 15, 20-point player in big games consistently. Not just every now and then. You can't have you can't have a game like this with everything on the line, and, and, and I'm not putting it all on quickly, but... I think he had seven points last night, six points. Damn, man, nah. You can't, you can't, can't, can't do it. Seven points. Can't do it. You mean too much to the team. You're too important to the team to play below your average. Below your average. In a big game. You gotta be that guy. Be that guy. You want $25 million a year. Be that guy when they need you. And I'm not saying you're never that guy when they need you. I'm not saying that. All right? He stepped up plenty this season and past seasons in games the Knicks have needed him. 
But you can't have a game where the a hundred the Knicks scored 122 points. Everybody's talking about the offense. Knicks scored 122 points. I'm talking about the offense too. All right? 122 points. They scored. And you got seven. That means other people had to pick up your slack. If you that guy, you want $25 million a year. If you that guy, then when the Knicks, the Knicks need to keep up at the pace that Bucks were on in that second half, you need to step up with no RJ. You need to step up. RJ not playing efficiently, not playing well. Jalen's not playing efficiently, not playing outstanding. You need to step up. They needed you to be the $25 million a year player that you want to be. You can't be the seven points guy. Can't. This is the hesitation. Outside of it being a smart move to, to you know, let him explore and find out what his value is instead of just bidding against yourself, this is the hesitation. IQ was not lights out in the playoffs last year. He was just a bench guy in the playoffs. Wasn't the offensive threat that they needed when, when, when scoring became uh, a premium. Didn't pick up the slack. And he didn't do it last night either. And it, it kills him. You can't have no RJ, no IQ, and then blame Tibbs and blame the defense, blame this, blame that, blah, blah, blah. No, how about you play well? Can y'all play well? Play well. Y'all making 20. You want to make 25. RJ's making 25. Play well. Everybody on their team playing well. You got Beasley hitting six threes. Everybody playing well. How come you can't play well? How come you can't be consistent? Make your floor consistent, efficient play. Maybe you won't have, just like Brunson. Brunson didn't play especially well yesterday, but he still put 24 points on the board. He still was able to get decent shots, decent looks. He just didn't play outstandingly, and that's why you can't criticize too heavily but y'all missing every you missing open shots teams are are giving you opportunities and you're not maximizing them Brunson has the whole defense schemed against him Randall typically does too that's not happening to you RJ RJ you you're going to the basket just throwing things up just looking terrible and he maybe he wasn't getting a call who cares he was much he had been much better at knowing what shots to take and win and he Last night, he was just embarrassing himself. Sometimes he just looks like he's embarrassing himself trying to score. And he's like, oh, RJ got the 20 points. He hadn't been to 20 points in quite some time. Like, I don't care how many points he got. And then he's shooting uh, six for 25. Whatever it was. Like, come on, man. IQ, you can't be so opportun- just opportunistic offensively. You got to be... You got to create opportunities for yourself. You can't just be opportunistic offensively. And that's what's been happening with quickly throughout his entire career. It's almost like, and again, and I don't want to cast aspersions because he's been better this year and, you know, he's had some outstanding games. I'm not going to pretend like that's not the case, but you have to create opportunities good opportunities for yourself and others and not just take advantage of their defense dropping the ball. One of seven from the field quickly was last night. 
That's just not showing up, man. And I'm sitting here killing RJ. RJ was 7-18. And it's not near as bad as it looked because he started making shots at the end of the game. I think he started this game off like 3-12 or something like that. And you look at the minus numbers. Quickly, a minus 10. DiVincenzo, minus 12. Hart, minus 14. Hartenstein, minus 12. The bench got jacked up in this game. He's supposed to be an advantage. You want to say the Bucks are one of those teams where the Knicks' lack of size in the second unit would hurt them. And I talked about this coming into the season. I told you I think there are certain matchups where you don't play hard at power forward. Maybe you dig up Sims and play him in those spots because you it didn't kill the Knicks last night because it was the three-pointers. But you don't want to go against the Bucks. You don't want to have to guard Bobby Portis with, with Josh Hart. You know, it didn't kill him, though. It didn't kill him. But it's not very often you see the bench get outplayed the way they did. It's not very often. Now, I'm going to save the best for last. Actually, I'm not going to say the best for last. Second to last, right? Mitchell Robinson was a non-factor last night. And it, I'm not going to jump down his throat because the primary reason is because Brooke Lopez is the type of center that Mitchell Robinson is just not going to be able to have great success against and great numbers um, against because he's outside. And he can, he's competent inside and he's outside. You know, you, you can't score in the paint around Brooke Lopez – and Brooke Lopez is going to shoot threes. And he's going to make Mitch look silly out there. And he did. He did last night. He blocked Mitchell at the rim after stopping a penetrator. Like, that's poor spacing. That's just so many. That's great play, but it's also poor spacing. It's, a, it's just a bad look all the way around. And if you really think about it, the take the threes out of this. The Bucks are... 25 points better than the Knicks because of their style of play. The fact that the Knicks were able to compete with the Bucks in the past, namely the earlier in the season, is more an indictment on the Bucks than anything else. Because the Bucks are really a bad matchup for the Knicks. The shooting center, which is a death knell for the Knicks. The paint protecting center and power forward, which is a death knell for the Knicks. And then the dynamic three-level scoring point guard, which is a death knell for just about everybody in the league. And none of this touches on Giannis, who is all-world, and nobody can really stop. And none of this even touches a Chris Middleton, who is a walking mismatch for the New York Knicks. Because anyone who's guarding Chris Middleton is too small or, or too incapable of stopping him defensively that looking looking at you RJ you can't stop him and anybody else is just too small he's going to shoot right over him. he has that game he's not the, he doesn't have the game where he's going to keep trying to force and beat his head against the wall against a smaller player he's just going to get to his spot and turn around and shoot shoot over him. and there's nothing you can do they're just a, a, a perpetually bad matchup for the Knicks but you know what in the grand scheme of things what you need to understand is they're a bad matchup for a lot of people. 
And I say the Bucks weren't playing well because they, just like I said, the Knicks' floor was good enough to beat bad teams. Milwaukee's floor is good enough to beat 90% of the teams in the league. It's just they still weren't hitting their stride. They still showed signs of weakness. Their defense is poor. It's, you go down the line, you know, the Knicks gave up 75 points in the first half. Well, the Bucks gave up 72 to a team that doesn't even play a high-octane offense. No, but kudos to them making adjustments in the second half. Uh, the Knicks only scored 24 points in the third quarter and 26 points in the fourth. That's after scoring 35 in the first and 37 in the second. Meanwhile, the Bucks kept up pace, kept their pace up. You know, to me, that speaks to halftime adjustments from one side of the court <laughs> and not from the other side. We got to talk about this. Uh, now, Jalen was 10-22. Again, missing free throws, 4-7. He was a minus 14 in the game. Uh, the start, I mean, it was a, you know, it was a 24-point loss. So, everybody's going to be in a minus. The, the one interesting minus is Quentin Grimes. But let's talk about Julius Randle. Julius Randle... And I talked about this last show, that this was an opportunity for the team to establish a process against good teams, have success against a good team in a big spot after all of those past failures. And even though the Knicks lost, the Knicks lost, the truth of the matter is that's kind of what happened for him. Against Giannis, in a big spot, he came through. He came through. 41 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds, 11 of 12 from the line, 2 of 2 from 3, 14 of 19 from the field, went 9 of 9 in the first half. Julius Randle came through for the Knicks last night in the biggest of ways. He showed Confidence, poise, just adeptly attacked Milwaukee in that first half and still played well in the second, even though the game got away. He had the success that you've been waiting for him to have in a big spot for years in the playoffs. He had it last night. And maybe even in a loss, that's a good sign going forward that Julius Randle might have figured out what he needs to do against good teams in big spots. The one thing that I would say is the Bucs didn't really double-team Julius Randle. And I'm not going to say that was an effective strategy. It's hard to say. It's an effective strategy to not double-team Julius Randle and he scores 41 points. Okay? At the same time, the worst plus-minus on the team is Julius Randle. Minus 21. Now, that's a second-half thing. Because the Knicks are only down by three, I think, at halftime. The Knicks got their doors blown off. In that second half. 
I think that's I, I don't want to use that number to blame Julius Randle in any way for this game getting away from the Knicks because everybody on the team is in the minus. So you can take away, you can make Julius's minus just like everyone else's minus, and they're still losing. <laughs> okay? This guy had 41 points, six rebounds, five. is like, come on now. We're not blaming Julius Randle for nothing. But maybe the Bucks not double-teaming Julius Randle hurt the Knicks' offense in that second half. Because now, if you're not getting direct offense from Julius Randle, and they did kind of, they, they, they started stunting Julius Randle a little bit in that second half, getting the ball out of his hands, but it wasn't like the same. It wasn't the types of, types of double teams that you get from Julius usually where he gets into the teeth of the defense and then sprays the ball out. It was more like we're, you know, playing tough defense and then we kind of get you to pick the ball up and then, you know, you spin the ball around. And I could be wrong about that, to be fair. But it just seemed like the defense was much more, was scrambling around a little bit more in the second half for the Bucks, And the Knicks weren't getting clean looks off of Julius's catches. You weren't getting primary offense from Julius the same way and you weren't getting created offense offense from Julius the same way. And you didn't get a ton of that in the first half because Julius was just lighting people up. And maybe it was just because nobody else nobody else was really playing well. Frankly. Offensively. Because nobody else is really shooting well. You know, but you can't you can't say enough good things about what Julius Randle came came with in this game yesterday. This big game, you saw effort from top to bottom. You saw a defensive effort. Once again, when you see that kind of effort defensively, that's where the criticism when you don't see it comes from. But I would also throw in there, and I've talked about this before, when Julius is the primary defender he is usually much more impressive defensively than when he's a, a rotating defender, a rim defender, uh, a drop coverage defender. When he has to sit back, he's a poor defender. You saw this in the first half. At the end of the first half, he had a play. He was guarding a screen with with uh, Dame, and he, he sank on Dame at the three-point line for no reason. Like, what are we doing here? It looked like he thought it was going to be a hedge and recover. Maybe it was supposed to be. But, you know, it's the same play with Devin Booker. It's like literally the same thing. You just can't sink on a shooter in that spot. It's an open look for him. You got to get up on him. Got to get up on the shooting hand. That's awareness, defensive awareness. But I'm not going to sit here and beat up on Julius Randle after the game he had yesterday. If Julius Randle's doing this, man... The way he looked, his shot even looked different. His release even looked smoother at the free throw line. Everything looked different when he was shooting the ball. He looked much more confident. I tweeted out, he must be time slipping like Loki. Like the 2021 Randall time slipping to present day in that game last night. Because his shot looked smooth. It looked smooth. Oh, my God, it looks smooth. I can't say it enough. If that's what we're seeing for the rest of the year, God bless. Because his shot, I don't care if he's making shots or not. His shot didn't look as smooth as it did last night. It looked smooth and rhythm. It looked nice. 
nice. And if he made some kind of change over the weekend that, you know, to, to you know, a little tweak to his jumper, you know, things might look good going forward. But, of course, the sky is falling after this loss. That's why this was, was such a bad loss for the Knicks. Because the analysis for the Knicks is always so simplistic and dumb. It's always, they need a superstar. That's the analysis. That's the basketball analysis that the Knicks get. And when they get blown out by one of the better teams in the conference in a big spot when everybody's watching, it just magnifies that that storyline. The stupid Knicks fans take over Twitter, blame Tibbs and everybody, trade everybody. Because they lost this game. That's why games like this. That's why I hate nationally televised games for the Knicks. A game like this, I thought the Knicks would be up to the task. And they were for the most part until it got away from them. Uh, again, the Bucks had an historic shooting night, whatever. But it's so easy to look at a game like this where the Knicks lose and start acting like the sky is falling. And I do think it was a, this was a damaging loss for the team, I think. I do believe that. I do believe there's probably some fighting in that locker room. I'm not going to lie. I do. I think this is almost like the Obi Toppin uh, stolen audio. I do think there's probably something like that going on. If you listen to Tibbs in the postgame, he sounded defeated. You never really hear Tibbs sound defeated in postgame. His tone was all different. I know a lot of the assistant coaches are counting on this money. They're all happy. I think they did get some money from this. I think it was fifty grand or something like that. But they're all counting on this money and opportunity to play for this money and and to get not just lose but to get blown out in this way and have and have uh, the Bucks shoot the way they did and embarrass and talk trash. The Bucks team talking trash on Twitter, national television. Everybody telling you that you're not good enough and that you need to make a trade and, and they're just, just dismissing everything you've done so far in the season and where you are in the standings and where you are in the ratings, etc. just because of this one game and then not have some of your bigger players play well outside of Randall uh, and Brunson to a lesser degree. It's, it's one of those losses that hurts. It hurts. And then they have to go to Boston, who's hurting and KP might be back. They've been playing without KP. It will probably uh, much easier to beat without KP. But now KP is probably going to come back for this Friday game. And Boston is pissed off. And you're going to go on the road and play Boston. Now now you're playing Milwaukee and Boston back-to-back. you got the whole world tearing you down. And you got to come up with a big game uh, in Boston against an angry Boston team. And you, you didn't establish anything outside of Julius Randle being awesome. You didn't establish anything in this game that should that would give you any confidence. It showed that you can play with some pace. The Knicks play with more pace than they ever had. But you keep telling the league that you're going to give them open shots and that they can shoot 60% from three against you. That kind of confidence is the only thing keeping you from getting blown out every night. <laughs> it's that confidence that guys are going to get and take and make that shot. Because that shot is there for against the Knicks every single night. Every single night those threes are available because they prioritize the front of the rim. 
and the, and the Boston Celtics, they know, just like the Bucks know, that you're going to be open and you don't hesitate and you shoot it and you don't think twice about it. And the saving grace for the Knicks is that they can score two and it's hard to stop them. And because they take a higher or I should say more efficient shots, they might be able to outlast you. But if RJ is going to be the worst version of himself and IQ is going to come out being a, a one for seven guy, you can forget it. You can forget it. Show's getting kind of long. I know I said I was going to talk about Obi Toppin and some of the trades. Like after, after those trades, man. After those trades, after Obi Toppin. Not talking about none of that nonsense right now. Well, I will say this, though. This is why Randall wasn't going to be the last part of this uh, Milwaukee breakdown. Quentin Grimes. My guy. My guy. 18 minutes, 0 of 1. One rebound, one steal. Four fouls, zero points. Ironically, in those 18 minutes, he was the most effective Nick. <laughs> with a minus three. Right? Quentin Grimes comes out after this game that had the same complaint that you know, you know, people have been talking about for weeks now. I'm not getting enough shots, I'm not getting the ball. I'm not in rhythm. Me, 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 me. And I understand he's frustrated. But this was not the time, man. Not after a game like this where the Knicks scored 122 points and and you were 0 for 1. And nobody else who played significant minutes had anything close to just one shot. Hartenstein had three shots. That's it. And Oh, Robinson. Robinson. Robinson had two shots. I'm sure he's beefing too. But... You do not come out with this nonsense after this loss. You just don't. You want to say it? Cool. But you don't come out after this loss and this spot talking that nonsense. Especially when you know that you don't maximize the opportunities that you do get. And I'm not saying... Excuse me. I'm not saying... That he's 100% wrong. Because you saw Josh Hart say the same thing about his role. And they play similar roles in the offense. And then the next game, you saw Josh Hart be more like a Josh Hart in previous year, or I should say last year, creating off the dribble more, the balls in his hands more. Right? And he, you, see, you saw that pay dividends. He played well. He was outstanding or whatever. We talked about it before. Dante DiVincenzo... To a lesser degree, you've seen him excel most nights in a similar role on this team. To the point where people think he should be the one starting. Tib said he believes that the second unit's pace contributes to Dante's rhythm. I don't think Tibbs is, is ignoring the importance of rhythm. I don't think he's ignorant to the lack of rhythm that Quentin Grimes clearly has and the lack of touches that Quentin Grimes clearly gets. But Quentin Grimes, and I've said this about Obi, I said this about Cam, I said this about 
uh, any number of guys, Fournier. You have to be a star in your role. Whatever that role is, you have to show that you can be effective in that role. And you can't, if you're Quentin Grimes, you have to know that you're not even doing some of the things that you did last year. Maybe you think that the opportunities aren't available to you like they were last year. I'm sure that's what he does feel. I think he said something like that. But the ball finds Quentin Grimes and he's not doing nothing with it. And Dante DiVincenzo showed you that he could. Hart shows you that he could and he's just not. So when you're not doing what you're supposed to do or could or could or, could, or, or can do when the ball finds you, then who are you blaming? You do something when the ball does find you. If it's not going to be making shots, okay, cool. Then drive. You can drive. Drive the basket. Drive the basketball. How you come out after this bad loss talking about you don't get enough shots? How many times has, have we seen Quentin Grimes be scared with the basketball, turn the ball over, some stupid turnover because he was too scared to dribble the ball around? And like I said last show, maybe he's being told that he can't do something and just like Josh Hart might have been told that not to do this, not to do that, and then he just kind of comes out and says, F it, I'm going to do what I want to do. Maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe he's being told that he has all the freedom in the world when he gets the ball to make a make the right play. And he's just not doing it. He doesn't feel like he can do it. But he's clearly not playing confidently. And, and you want to know, you want some evidence that that's exactly what's going on? You want some evidence? I'm going I'm to read between the lines of something that Jalen Brunson said in response to that article, right? Jalen Brunson, he's going to get the ball. So sometimes when the confidence is low, it seems like the end of the world. As teammates, we need to pick him up. That was an indictment on Quentin Grimes. Not to make low confidence a super negative thing. Happens to everybody. But that's Brunson telling you, no, it's not that you're not getting the ball. It's that you're not playing with confidence, so you're not, you're not doing nothing when you get it. That's Jalen Brunson. If you want to say that maybe because Brunson's the point guard, that that onus is falling on him and he feels, you know, that's him lashing out. Okay. <clears throat> if you want to say that because Brunson has the reputation of a shot hog, you know, a ball hog, I should say. And this is his way of, you know, removing the accountability. Okay. But I think if we look at this realistically, look at this realistically. This is Brunson calling out what I'm telling you I'm seeing on the floor too. And I'm not the only one. He's not playing with confidence. Maybe he's not in rhythm. Maybe, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation, not playing with confidence because he's not in rhythm, because he's not touching the ball, or whatever. But that's an indictment on him. You're not playing with confidence. You're a pro basketball player. You need to play with confidence. You hear, if you hear Quentin Grimes talk about playing with confidence, you always hear him talking about playing with confidence. You got to have faith in what you do. You got to trust the work. You always hear it. And he's clearly not playing with confidence. He's clearly, there's a, there's, you know, a couple, like, he's gotten stripped at half court. 
dribbling the ball. Like, this is not. Come on, man. There was like a backcourt violation where he threw the ball backcourt when he was dribbling the ball over court. Like, he didn't know what he wanted to do. Like, he's just do, playing like a robot. And some of that could be Tibbs' fault. Sure. I'm not going to. I've said, I've talked about it on the show. I'm not going to keep doing it every show. I've talked about things that Tibbs can do and should be doing with Grimes. I talked about it in the preseason. I talked about it last season. So I'm not absolving Tibbs of any blame, but I know that Grimes should be playing as well as Hart and playing as well as Dante. I know that. And the reason why he's not playing that well is because of him. You have to convince me that Tibbs is telling Hart that he can make the plays that he's making, telling Dante he's making a, that he can make the plays that he's making, but telling Grimes that he can only stand in the corner and shoot threes. You've got to convince me that that's what's happening. And Jalen Brunson's comments are telling you that it's not. But do I expect there to be a change next game? Yes, because you saw it with Hart. Hart complained, and then Hart's role seemed to grow. And you see his teammates speaking about him. They're going to go out of their way to try to get him the ball. I'm curious to see how they go about it. And can he step up and, and pay it off? But what he's doing out there is a joke. And he's making himself real easy to replace, even though he's playing decent defense some nights. He's making himself real easy to replace. Because the Knicks can't function offensively with RJ not playing well, Grimes being 0 for 1, and then Grimes. So everybody's talking about the schematics and Tibbs and blah, blah, blah. These guys got to play well. You need to go back to, to the chicken and the egg to say they're not playing well because of Tibbs. But then you start actually looking at it and you say, okay, so Hart and Dante are playing well, but Grimes isn't playing well because of Tibbs. Okay, RJ starts the season off being the Knicks' best player, but now he's not playing well because of Tibbs. Stop it. IQ can be an X factor, you know, two games out of four, but the other two games is because of Tibbs. Stop. I can go on and on. The show's already too long. I want to make sure I do the Doofus Chronicles. I want to make sure I do the Doofus Chronicles. Here's the first one. The first one I'm going to say. Knicks management and Rose are committed to Tibbs not to winning a championship. As long as MSG is sold out, that's all that matters. Over 40 years, boycott the Garden a couple games, and then we will see movement. There was a punctuation issues here, so forgive me for the pauses at the wrong times. So, because the Knicks lost this game, this is an opportunity to say that Knicks management and Rose, as if they're separate, are just committed to Tibbs, even though last year Tibbs thought he was going to be fired before he made rotation changes. And as long as MSG is sold out, that's all that matters. All that matters is that management and Rose is committed to Tibbs, even though Tibbs thought he was going to be fired last year. And over 40 years, even though this has not been the same management and Rose has not been here and Tibbs has not been here for 40 years, but because MSG is sold out, I guess, for 40 years, that's all that matters, even though Dolan's only been here for about 25, 30 years, maybe. Boycott the Garden. A couple games. Just a couple. And then we will see movement. I don't know what's the movement because the Knicks were like 
they came into this game as fifth in the conference. So one of the best teams in the league, Final Four in the conference and in-season tournament, Final Eight for the league. What's the movement that's going to happen when you boycott? What, what movement are you going to see? They're going to be third in the conference after? Or, or are they going to rebuild? They're going to start rebuilding after they're like, by all accounts, one player away from winning a championship. But you think if you boycott two games, you'll see movement, which can only mean one of two things. They're going to fire Tibbs. So you believe firing Tibbs is the key and they don't have to get any more trades. And or they're going to trade for another player. A superstar player is going to make a difference. In which case, maybe you didn't need to fire Tibbs because if you were missing a superstar, then maybe it's not the effing coach's fault. Here's this guy. The Knicks gave up 140 points. We're too small. That was... That's an interesting conclusion you've come to. (laughs) That... Milwaukee shot 60% from three and scored 140 points because the Knicks are too small. I mean, I can find instances where the size hurt the Knicks, sure, in this game, absolutely. And I told you that we can talk about guys being shot over, sure, absolutely. But that's your conclusion? That sounds like one of those things that you came to before the game and you're just looking for every any reason <laughs> To say that that's why. Because what does scoring 140 points and shooting 60% from three have to do with being too small? I mean, sure, I can come with up with some indirect references to their size or reasons their size led to the three-point shooting. But like in a vacuum, that statement, they're too small to give 140 points and shoot 60% from three. Like, are you serious? Here's this guy. Bring back Fizz or Hornacek. Hornacek. Um, I I don't know if, if that was a joke or not. I don't know if that's joking. Is that sarcasm? <laughs> like, what? Why would... There's no laughing emoji. Like, there's no reason to think that's sarcasm. Sarcasm doesn't work if nobody knows you're being sarcastic. I don't know if people understand that. You can't say something in a serious tone and say it's sarcasm and then act like everyone else is slow for not knowing what's sarcasm. Right? Like in real life when people do that, it drives me crazy. Like you need to say sarcasm, you need to be sarcastic in a sarcastic tone to some degree. In some degree. In some degree. Don't be sarcastic in a normal tone. Because that just makes you a prick. So unless you're trying to be a prick to somebody in real life, don't do that. If you're trying to be funny, then you need to be you need to do the sarcastic voice. Or you're or you just you're just being a prick. But on social media, when you're making a comment, you gotta use an emoji or something. You gotta do something if you're being sarcastic. Otherwise, I'm just gonna read that and I'm gonna be like, okay, you're an idiot. You're just an idiot. I know we all heard Tibbs on the mic and he had no direction or even a scheme to get us back in the game. I'm convinced he is the problem and he would be so much better. We would be so much better if he had or we had a new coach. I heard Tibbs on the mic and he had no direction or even a scheme to get us back in the game. 
Have you ever heard a coach give a scheme on the hot mic on a broadcast? You have never heard it. Never. Have there been coaches that sound like they were giving more specific direction than other coaches? Yes. But there is no schemes given on the hot mic on the telecast. It is almost always you guys got to give more effort. You got to box out. You got to get out and run. Right? We got to get a hand in their face. Like, that's always what coaches say in those situations. Just like at the halftime interviews. The coaches don't give you anything of value. They give you, like, surface stuff. They're not going to let the hot mic record them giving schematic instructions to their team. You idiot. Idiot. I don't even have the heart to go on Twitter right now and get on that old nonsense. You know it's a you know it's a blaze with DC all over Twitter, but I will add one more, one more uh, addition to. Did I say add one more addition? Whatever. The Doofus Chronicles. The last submission. NBA on TNT. Inside the NBA. If I hear one more time that the Knicks are not good enough, they need a superstar. As the basketball analysis for the Knicks, I'm going to throw something on television. It is worthless analysis to continue to say that the Knicks need a superstar to get to the next level. It is worthless analysis. Are you telling me there's no other team that needs anything, a significant player in their rotation to be better? Does Golden State need something? Does Sacramento need something? Does Phoenix need something? Do the Lakers need something? Nobody needs nothing. No, you talk about basketball with them because no, some of those teams do have real superstars. But you talk about basketball with some of these other teams, Sacramento, for example, or the Pelicans, or you talk basketball when you talk about them. You don't talk about their so-called superstars not being good enough to make their teams great. You just want the Knicks to trade for someone else's superstar who's on a losing team who's not doing as well as the Knicks are. That's your analysis. They need a guy. They need another guy. Every single time. You can't talk about basketball. You can't appreciate the Knicks are one of the better teams in the league in spite of not having that guy. The only way you can talk about the Knicks is whether or not they you think they, they can uh, they can win a championship. That's it. There's nothing else, else to discuss. But when they talk when you're talking about teams like Orlando or these up and coming young teams, Indiana, you just oh, 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 it's so exciting and there's a future there. But shut the hell up. They can't win no championship either. They need something too. How about you talk about what they need? You just going to talk about what the Knicks need all the time? You're not going to appreciate what they actually do night to night? This early in the season. They don't look great last night. It's easy to pick on them last night. But this was before the game. You had Kenny Smith saying the problem with the Knicks is that every time they play a good team, they don't have the best player on the floor. There's some merit to that analysis, but he starts listing teams. He lists Boston yeah, okay. Most nights, Boston has the best player on the floor. Yes, they do. I, that doesn't just apply to the Knicks. All right? You, Embiid, yeah, he won MVP last year. Most nights, he's the best player on the floor. Milwaukee, mm, two-time MVP, champion. 
They added Dame Lillard. Most times, they got the best player on the floor. But then this fool said Orlando, that Paolo Bancaro is better than Jalen Brunson? What the hell? Are you out of your mind? This dude is three months from shooting 43% from the field and like 30% from three. He's only been shooting this well for two months, and you saying he's better than Jalen Brunson, who was in the second round of the playoffs, torching the Miami Heat? Are you out of your mind? He's averaging 19 points a game. He's playing on a team that's sharing the ball. He's playing on a team with talented players that are playing well for two months, and all of a sudden, he's better than Jalen Brunson? What? Jalen Brunson's been in the playoffs torching people. He was doing it with Dallas. This guy's been doing it for two months. Then he says, Indiana, oh, Indiana, you know, Halliburton is the best player on the floor. Okay, let's start with the fact that if Halliburton is is the best player on the floor, the next best player, the next two best players are on the Knicks. Okay? we That's not a debate. R.J. Barrett struggling, whatever. That's not a debate. Okay? Now, let's talk about whether or not Halliburton is better. Halliburton is all-world right now. All-world. I'm not going to say he's not having a better season than Jalen Brunson. I believe he is. Last year, it was much more debatable about who was having a better season. But when you look at Halliburton's assist numbers and you put a lot of weight on assist, uh, even though they're in an offense that accentuates his his passing with a high-octane offense, he's still an outstanding passer and a better passer than Jalen Brunson. So if you weight the passing, you say, okay, Halliburton is a little bit better than Jalen Brunson uh, going back to last year. But when they played each other, Jalen Brunson, he jacked Halliburton up every time. Toasting him. Rotisserie chicken every time. It was like he was shy out there against Brunson. And now, two months into a season... He is definitively better than Jalen Brunson to, to the effect that you, without any debate or hesitation, say that when the Knicks play the Pacers, the best player on the floor is 100% Halliburton? What? It's, it doesn't work like that. You don't, get to, you don't get to debate the stats on two guys who are putting up high stats like that and say, well, Halliburton's averaging X amount of assists per game, and he's shooting a couple percentage points higher. So he's technically better than that. No, no. That's not how any of this works. That's not how any of this works. He is maybe a click better a player than Jalen Brunson, but not so much so that you sit on national television and definitively say that Halliburton would be the best player on the floor. It's a joke. That's what we're doing. That's what, that's what Nick analysis is right now. Paolo Bancaro is better than Jalen Brunson, and Halliburton is definitively better than Jalen Brunson. Every time the Knicks play a good team, they don't have the best players on the floor. It's not a bad point until you started getting too deep into the conference. It's not a bad point until you start ignoring the fact that even if a team might have the best player, they might not have the next three, four best players. When you start ignoring the fact that the Knicks went to the second round of the playoffs last year against a player who was supposed to be the best player on the floor in Donovan Mitchell. 
I'm not going to sit here and say the Knicks don't need something. We talk about it all the time. But I'm not going to sit here and let people keep dismissing everything this team is doing because they don't think they can win a championship. That's true for every team in this league. Stands about five teams, but that's not their analysis. Everybody's sky is so bright except for the Knicks. The Knicks' sky is brighter than most of these teams because they got superstars who are supposedly better than the Knicks' superstars who ain't superstarring because their teams are not as good. And their team, their teams are getting bounced out in the playoffs every year. And they're coming up short. And then people start talking about, look at Chicago. There are going to be people who tell you that Chicago has three players on, it, on, on their team that are better than any player on the Knicks. There are people who will make that argument. There are, there are more people who would make the argument that they have two players that are better than any player on the Knicks. But yes, Chicago is trash. Last year, they were trash. And people talking about taking players from their team and sending them to the Knicks because the Knicks need a superstar. Those superstars ain't superstarring for their teams. So why do the Knicks need them? You look at Toronto. Same thing as Toronto. People say Siakam and Barnes are better than anybody on the Knicks team. Oh, yeah? So how come they trash? Follow. At Sports Ethos. At Eat those Knicks. Until next time.